This time on Audibly Speaking, The Blind Leading the Blind, Book Banning, USA. Hi, I'm Rick Ryman, host of Audibly Speaking, a show on the stories behind the stories of our time. By sounding out on these stories, we give voice to them and hear them for the first time. From the news of the day to history and literature, from audiobooks to leaders on the stump, we examine the backstories of our time, audibly speaking. In Tennessee, as the graphic novelist Art Spiegelman observes, only 30% of students in middle school are able to read at grade level. He wonders if, perhaps, that is because their elders came out of the same schools and, like the blind leading the blind, are perpetuating the same ignorance and policy folly that stunted their own upbringings. For whatever reason, at least one Tennessee Board of Education is leading the way to bringing the practice of book banning from the Berlin of 1933 to the America of 2022. 100 years after the Scopes trial in Dayton, Tennessee, when Tennessee crowned the state in infamy as the haven for anti-evolution, anti-science, anti-intellectualism, the state seems now to be working hard to catch up with all the stubborn truths since the 1920s that they would now like suppressed as well such as the Holocaust and the legacy of racism in America. They certainly see things the same way in some parts of Tennessee. The 10-person school board of McMinn County, Tennessee, recently voted unanimously to ban Spiegelman's Pulitzer Prize-winning graphic novel, Mouse, from the curriculum of their schools. Mouse tells the story of Spiegelman's father, and his experience in the Holocaust, along the way offering a primer on how the Holocaust unfolded at the level of people's actual experiences. Spiegelman uses a cartoon format to allegorically tell his story, with Jews portrayed as mice and Nazis as cats bent on their destruction. One would be hard put to find a better way to reach the level of understanding and cognitive reach of 8th graders. In Spiegelman's illustrated panels, the sources of the Holocaust, issuing from the anti-Semitism of the perpetrators and the indifference and fear of bystanders, are clearly conveyed. It is a heartbreaking story, but what successful effort to teach the Holocaust with accuracy would not be. Surely we do not want our students to be taught that the Holocaust offers reassurance, as if there was something of redemptive value to it, to make us grateful that it happened. Quite the contrary, if we mean to teach it, we must teach it accurately, as something that reveals the worst that humans are capable of, as something that happened once, and could happen again if its lessons are not understood and heeded well. Happy talk or muted messages that increase the chances of genocide happening here, there, and everywhere does no service to our children's futures or those of their children. 
and such a conceit is a disgrace to the pretensions of a board of so-called education. Evidently, what triggered the members of the board was some rough, objectionable language in the book, in the words of one member, and the tiny image in one of the cartoon panels of a naked mouse. If the Holocaust had been nothing more than a barrage of obscene language unleashed against the Jews and a forced undressing of some, we would all be so much more fortunate to have so mild a legacy with which to reckon. Spiegelman said it sounded as if members of the board wanted the teaching of a nicer Holocaust. Such breathtaking ignorance suggests that the board members themselves need to read the entirety of Mouse if they are to remedy their own ignorance of the curriculum they have the temerity to try to tone down. They further explain that the problem with Mouse is its unnecessary use of profanity and nudity and its depiction of violence and suicide, which begs the question, what kind of accurate portrayal of the Holocaust could portray Nazis and their gas chambers as decorous and refined? And how do they intend to explain how six million Jews all came to have nonviolent deaths out of the blue? Around the world today and in the United States today, with frightening regularity, anti-Semitic attacks are on the upswing. How do we help our middle school students understand these developments or provide them a global context with which to reckon? With the last of the survivors of the Holocaust almost all gone now, the task of carrying memory into the future must be the responsibility of we who know what happened, thanks to such magnificent historians as Yehuda Bauer and Saul Friedlander, and we who are still alive to tell the story to our children. It is our responsibility, and we owe them no less. Of course, it is not the Holocaust alone that is being airbrushed out of the curriculum of our schools by the so-called educators we entrust it with. The historical reality that racism was institutionalized in our history for so long, through Jim Crow laws, redlining of neighborhoods, racial gerrymandering, poll taxes, slavery, all sanctioned by the Constitution, and all investing Americans alive today with a corporate responsibility to come to terms with this history is more and more being denied by people who should know better. Worse, they are prohibiting the teaching of these truths with the argument that racism is a relic of the past and should be left in the past, which implies that the past is an unpleasant annoyance best left forgotten. Horrifyingly, even my students tell me that racism might have existed as late as 1989, before they were safely born, but it certainly is gone now that we have had a black president. Try telling that to the many who continue to be maimed and killed in the course of driving while black, or try telling that to the distinguished black female lawyers who are on President Biden's list of candidates for the Supreme Court, and who have to face the absurd claim that they are beneficiaries of a racial test 
when those same people never objected to two centuries of a racial requirement that all justices must be white. The only way to square such a circle and fail to see it is to obscure it with a stubbornly internalized racial bias, blinding in its effect, and possibly unconscious, as difficult as that is to believe. Despite the protestations of the board members, one is forced to conclude that they simply do not want the history of actual racism or the Holocaust that actually occurred to be taught. Only unrecognizable facsimiles of the same will do, and whether in the presence or absence of such imitations, the teaching of the actual truths of these two troubling subjects will just have to wait. In the meantime, the board's critics should rest assured that the McMinnville Board of Education would not be pausing its efforts for a critical rethink. As one board member stated, when confronted by a protester asking if to kill a mockingbird would be next on the banned list, that falls under another topic for another day. One of the interesting things that occurred to us upon reflection is how this controversy over President Biden's shortlist for the Supreme Court reveals a breathtaking lack of critical thinking. One of the arguments that we hear is that two wrongs do not make a right, that even if white justices were the only ones considered for 200 years, it still is not right to have a racial test and require that the next Supreme Court justice be a black woman, that that is two wrongs and that does not make a right. Well, the problem with that analysis is that if you give it any degree of thought at all, the comparison falls flat. 200 years versus one single appointment. And of course, most of the people complaining about a racial test were not complaining during those years when only white men could be chosen. There was never any discussion about that at the time. There was never any complaint about Ronald Reagan picking a woman and promising to do so in his presidential campaign in 1980, and then following through on the promise just as President Biden is doing. That was a gender test, but evidently because Reagan was a conservative, it was all right. And because Biden is a Democrat, somehow it does not pass the logic test. The speciousness of this reasoning is again quite breathtaking. And if one gives it the least amount of thought, the argument completely disintegrates. Which raises the question, why aren't people giving this greater thought? I have been surprised that this decision to appoint a black woman as the next Supreme Court justice has been controversial at all. After all, in the 1960s, President Johnson appointed Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American, the first non-white person on the Supreme Court. It was quite clear that President Johnson recognized that the civil rights movement called for an historic choice, that the world had changed and that the Supreme Court would have to change with it. 
It's been a long time since Thurgood Marshall was chosen, and yet, even though we've seen subsequent symbolic choices, Sandra Day O'Connor by Ronald Reagan, Clarence Thomas by George H.W. Bush, Sonia Sotomayor, the first Hispanic justice, by Barack Obama. For some reason, all of that history is out the window when Biden says he's going to do something, and after he's elected by the American people, who know full well what he's going to do, suddenly that becomes a shocking thing, and conservatives are beside themselves with horror that Biden is actually going to fulfill a campaign promise that the American people knew all about when they chose to elect him president. It's as if racism never existed. That's why the idea that a symbolic choice of a black American female who is completely qualified for the job is considered to be on the same plane as 200 years of erroneous white-only appointments. It's precisely because of that 200 years that one must decide to pick for symbolic reasons the first black woman to the Supreme Court, knowing that there are plenty of such candidates who are outstanding candidates, and indeed as intelligent and outstanding as any other appointment. But try telling that to the critics of this appointment. They don't seem to take into account any kind of context, any kind of history. And again, as an historian, that is a particularly bitter thing to see in the year 2022. So I think all of these contradictions and idiosyncrasies and lack of thought and lack of critical thinking needs to be on the minds of us all if we're going to face these issues with any rationality or any chance of common ground and sound reasoning. Thanks for listening. That's it for today's episode of AudiblySpeaking.com. New podcast episodes appear on AudiblySpeaking.com approximately once every two weeks. Please subscribe to Audibly Speaking on iTunes or whatever podcast aggregator you enjoy. Until next time, this is Rick Ryman. Happy listening.